Good evening and welcome to Let's Talk Cricket here on Free Values Radio. And I'm delighted to say we've got the return of Matt Roberts. Matt has finally joined us back on Free Values. We thought we got rid of him after the cricket tour and some time after that when he played down in Pompey and didn't have particularly a good game down there. But he has decided to join us with his bit of orange juice and his gaming headset on. So good evening, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, George. Thank you for having me. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Obviously, um, don't really want to talk about the, the events of the weekend. I don't know what was worse, really. Getting knocked down the semi-final by Hampshire or getting a golden duck and having to umpire on a Saturday in the boiling heat. Which one would you say was worse? Uh, I think as a ex-opening batsman who didn't practice very often, I uh, can sympathise with the early exit and a lot of umpiring on a Saturday. It's not, not normally how I want to spend my time. Uh, so, yeah, but obviously I was quite a happy boy, being a Hampshire boy for Saturday. But obviously, massive commiserations to you as we had a conversation about it straight after. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've got lots I've got lots to talk about when we get to that point. But obviously, I need to ask an honest question now. So, I fielded for a best part of three and a half hours in that heat on Saturday. And, you know, the, I was a little bit disappointed with the bowling, not going to lie. I was consistently, consistently running up and down from boundary to boundary. Got up first for LBW, Plum, and uh, I then get asked to umpire straight away. As soon as I get back in, back in, obviously I'm in a bad mood, throwing the pads, you know, put the gloves away, put the helmet away, and uh, it gets to the point where an ice cream van turns up at the cricket ground. An ice cream van. So to console myself, mate, I get myself a double, a double whippy with a flake. My question to you, is it wrong to go and umpire with a Mr. Whippy in your hand? Is, that, is that acceptable? <laughs> It's got to be more acceptable than the last time I had to umpire, which was on the cricket tour, um, with a pint of uh, Somerset's finest cider in my in my hand. Um, yeah, I think you can obviously you can claim the weather there, George. I think that's more than acceptable uh, during the heat wave that we've had. Um, I think a double was was your best option there. So well done. Thank you. Uh, was it bad that I actually gave someone out by raising the Mister Whippy? <laughs> Fantastic! That's what village cricket is all about, isn't it? But yeah, I had to. Had to. It was. Uh, it was. It was a plum LBW. Had to be given, and the Mister Whippy went very high in the air with the with the flake on top, signalling the dismissal. But there we go. That was that was summed up my Saturday, which was very grumpy, very quite warm, and very quite hot. And it's sort of going from there. Obviously, just following on a little bit from um, a bit of a discussion we had on the show last week. I know you caught a little bit of it this evening before we came on air. Um, the question we're sort of looking at, we got quite into Freddie Flintoff's Field of Dreams um, he's been doing on BBC. I was just quite interested, Matt, really, about what got you into cricket in the first bit and where, where did your sort of love for cricket come from in the first place? Was it through, through your dad? Was it? Yeah, it, it, so my cricket story is basically all down is all down to my dad. A lot of my sporting um, story is obviously um, just due to, you know, following what my what my dad did. Um if, if anything, I'm, I'm very grateful as a, you know, my job now as a PE teacher that throughout my childhood, I had so many different opportunities through both my parents taking me here, there and everywhere to try out different things. Um, I do, now that I'm a little bit older, uh, I do wish that maybe, although it was great that I, I dabbled in so many different things of football, tennis, cricket, golf, I do wish that maybe I concentrated on one or maybe two as a kid and then maybe would get stronger at those um obviously i have dropped cricket 
you know now just with family commitments and Saturday Sunday. But I, I played played a lot of cricket as a kid from from the age of, of ten all the way up to sort of probably twenty twenty three twenty four after uni. Um, committed a lot of weekends, you know Saturday Sunday. Um, but a lot of it was just literally down to my dad. So dad played um, uh, all all throughout his sort of young adult life. Um, he didn't play very much when I was born and my sister was around. Um, but he then took me down uh, to the sort of co- well cove in Farnborough where I where I grew up. Um, and then he actually then restarted his cricket career as well, which was nice. So we uh, managed to play together a few times. Um, and he's now sort of gone into the non the non playing side. At, so he's like a, a vice president at our local cricket club, um, which is nice. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is just down to to the opportunity and you know the fact that um, it was so close to me. You know, I can make my own way down there. Um, and then as you start getting a little bit older and coming out of Colts cricket into adult cricket, having the structure there for people to take you to games and and all that sort of thing, really. So I was also quite lucky that um, you know 2005 Ashes was when I was 16 so again that that sort of really instilled you know what what a summer that was I remember it so well and the fact that it was on free to air television that even a few of my non-cricketing friends would get into it so then um, you know if you head down the park on a on a you know in those long summer holidays that cricket was then an option rather than just sort of going off and playing football or or doing those things so yeah I mean I've Cricket's always been a, a massive love, and even though I don't, I don't play it as much as I, as you know, as much as I would like to now. It's still the volume of cricket that we have to watch uh, or listen to on the radio is is amazing now compared to what it felt like growing up. Um, and yeah, and just, I think the one thing that I I wish maybe I had a bit more um, cricket wise as a kid was maybe school cricket wasn't re- wasn't really a thing um at, at my school um i was only one of maybe three i think in my, in my year group that actually played so that's a bit of a shame but just the 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 area which i grew up in although we did have that local cricket club it was very much uh, you followed in your your parents footsteps if they played that you played really yeah and i think um i think you've highlighted something that was quite important i think a lot of our childhoods is that Ashes series of 2005. Obviously, I was into cricket a little bit before that point, but I think that really was what sparked my interest, particularly when you sort of when when you sort of saw this idea of England being the underdogs, and that probably was the greatest series I think of cricket I've ever watched. You know, with the players that we saw on show, the players we had on offer. And I just think of like the way cricket's been inspired. We think about the way the England Test teams played recently. Do you think the way they played recently is going to have that same spark that we had? with the Ashes 2005 to get more youngsters involved? Because I know, obviously, fair play to Trent Bridge, to, uh, was it was it Durham as well, that gave away these free tickets on day five to allow people to go in? Do you think that's going to have the same spark? Do you think it's going to have the same effect? Because they thought the World Cup 2019 was going to get more people to cricket, but I'm not I'm not sure, I'm not convinced, similar to the 100? I think, I think a lot of it is down to, whether we like it or not, it's down to free-to-air TV. You know, I'm fortunate enough that I've obviously got access to Sky Sports and um, BT for the, the away games, but you know, that is a, a vast amount of money to put into it. And you're only going to do that 
if you are a sports lover or a cricket lover. So you're not you're not actually going to ever fall into that. Um, I think a lot of kids, especially a lot of kids, especially in, in the um, the career that I've chosen, and I see that if they're ever going to get into something without their parents' help or without their teachers' help, it is literally just through falling into it. You know, seeing something that's exciting. Um, and then obviously then going from there. So I, I know that there's very vast opinions on the hundreds and obviously that it could, but the fact that it was, some of it was on BBC, I think would help. Um, I know that the World Cup final, Sky then did let it go out to free to air. Um, and I think some of the women's uh, World Cup also did that, which is great. And again, the, the more that it's seen, the more chance you're going to get to get kids involved and obviously the the product the product does need to be good um i will always say that you the shorter forms of the game is what you need to hook people into cricket and then you eventually will fall in love with test match cricket i don't think someone would see test match cricket for the first time if they've never watched cricket and instantly fall in love with it you know or that you know it's unlikely and it could happen it, it does happen but i think you need to sort of understand cricket, don't you, to really get, you know, your four-day county championship and, and your test cricket. You need to be a proper cricket lover for that. But I think, based upon the way that England have gone about, you know, this summer series with under Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes, that brand of cricket is exciting. Um, you know, the, and like you say, the, the fifth day where they've done free tickets, I think that's great. That's really good. Um, and actually it's then helped that the performances on those fifth days have been brilliant. You know, some of those run chases, you know, me and you have never seen anything like that. You know, a lot of people never seen anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that that brand of cricket is definitely the right way, hopefully, to go to make test cricket more enjoyable for the non-traditionalists, I would say. Um, but ultimately, if you love test match cricket, you, you love all forms of it. You know, the fact that we've sat through so many times England getting rolled out, you know, being 40 for four, but we still keep coming back to it. It's just because we love cricket and there's a lot of people that are the same. So it'd be interesting to see how long it lasts and if the bubble does burst. But it's been amazing to watch. I, I, had, no, I had no idea that it would kick in so quick just with one change of coach and one change of captain you know the the, the players are, are very similar the batting lineup is very similar um but i think it's been really interesting to listen to joe root about how it just a little change in mindset has done so much for that team um you know and i'm really pleased with johnny bairstow i love i've always loved johnny bairstow and the way he plays cricket and i think he is definitely one that has benefited from being told that this is your place in the team and this is where you're going to bat and just go out and do it. Hopefully, Ollie Pope will do the same. There's some good signs there from from uh, him at number three. And obviously, Jay Root is just unbelievable, isn't he? He's going to be the best that we've ever produced by a mile, I think. Yeah, he absolutely will be. And you've identified some really good players there with, you know, Ben Stokes, um, Joe Root, James Hansen, I suppose we can mention as well, Stuart Broad, obviously both coming to support perhaps the twilight years or even to the end of their careers and sort of thing. So going back to this point of trying to get more people into cricket, more interested in cricket, and we talked about the branding there and the marketing of it, do you think cricket has the personalities to try and engage people in the game? Obviously, 
we see overseas, obviously the IPL does it really, really well. People buy into those, buy into those players and the way they do it. Does does our sort of our way of cricket set up in the, in England? Does it sort of allow for those personalities for people to buy and invest in those personalities? Because I think about that two thousand five Ashes series, and obviously that was the that was the scene when Kevin Peterson first came onto the scene in Test match cricket, and obviously he was a big personality that everyone to know about, along with Freddie Flintoff. I was just wondering, like we obviously a lot of people, you could probably say you walk down the high street, most cricketers probably walk down the high street and not really be spotted unless it's by a cricket fan. Whereas if a footballer walks down the high street, nine times out of ten they're going to be spotted by the general public. Is that is that an issue we have, or is that something we just don't need to worry about? I don't think cricket needs to worry about that too much. Um, I think naturally through the sort of the social media generation, I think they will start becoming more and more popular. I think that I think the ECB sort of see this the hundred as that is what is then going to fill that gap. Um, I don't know whether it would necessarily work. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't worry about personalities in the game. I think we've, I think we have got a lot of those, and I think all the players that are now going to start sort of coming through are going to be, you know, those exciting players to watch. I mean, it's going to be very, very strange now to see um, any of the. You know, can you really make an argument for the way that the test? team has gone as well currently to put in you know the likes of so Hamid who's you know very traditional with his technique and things is McCullum actually going to want that so it's your, your breed of cricketer for as long as he is there and as long as the one day side and the 2020 teams are, are producing good results are going to be these exciting cricketers from the batting point of view um and then the, the bowling side, I mean, Matt, I think Matt Potts was amazing. I thought he did so well to come back uh, and obviously play all those all those test matches as well at such a early stage of his, his career. Um, but then if you think about that bowling attack, the, the people that are missing, you know, your Joffre Archers, etc., you know, whether he played test match cricket again, I don't know. But England has got a lot of those personalities already and I think the way that the whole setup is now for the next three to four years... Hopefully, I think it will just keep producing people like that. Um, you know, you Liam Livingston, etc. They're going to dine out on these players for as long as they can. I think. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely agree. And I think um, for that point, I think some players had a really good start to this summer, and others are going to be looking forward to fighting for their opportunity. And I think you're right. There's lots of opportunity to fight for place. Who would have thought Jamie Overton? You know, fourth of summer set. At Surrey would almost hit a maiden century in his test debut. It's just amazing, you know. Bowling Express pace, you know, made that move. And obviously that move's been quite positive and gives him his first test cap. It's, it's been a brilliant opportunity for him, really. And I think that's a good opportunity there for just to pause on that, on that, on that sort of debate we're having there and look to move on to our next statement. Altered Ego Show. Do you like soul? Do you like jazz funk? I did a bit of American disco, Motown and Philly. That pretty much sums up what you get with 80s Altered Ego Show. Fridays at 2.30pm and Sundays at 4pm on Three Valleys Radio. It's the best local station. At www.threevalleysradio.com When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. 
Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation. At AJ Wakeley & Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it, guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website, www.ajwakely.com, for more information or call Clive Wakely on 01935 479913. Okay, time now to have a look at England's One Day International Series, obviously led by Joss Butler, under the uh, coach of Matthew Mott. And we'll be looking at, obviously, the games, reviewing them, and have a bit of a general discussion about. Where, where things are going currently with ODI cricket, obviously, with them starting to think about the World Cup taking place a bit later in the year. So, 12th of July, uh, Tuesday 12th of July, England were bowled out for 110 all out in 25.2 overs, and India chased that down, winning by 10 overs, sorry, winning by 10 wickets um, within the 19th over. England did, though, get their revenge back on Thursday the 14th of July. When they batted again, this time were bowled out for 246 all out, and India were bowled out for 146 all out at Lords. So England won by 100 runs, thanks to some fantastic bowling by Reese Topley. You know, six for 24, I believe the figures were. Unbelievable um, display from him, and one of the best bowling figures for a English bowler in ODI cricket. And then, of course, we turn our attention to the final ODI of England versus India. England batted again, funny enough, at, at Old Trafford. Butler in runs, leading the charge, but they ran out of steam. Bowled up for 259 all out. And India chased it down with a fantastic century, I believe, from Pant. Yep, Pant, 125 not out. And uh, they cruised, India cruised victory by five wickets. Obviously, we know the South Africa series has started. We're going to get to that point in a bit, Berman, discussing that in a bit more detail. So um, we'll come to that. But my sort of major, major concerns, what would you say the positives were? from this India ODI series map? Ah. Um, although the results haven't got his way, I think Butler will be pleased that he has now obviously had an opportunity. Um, whether people would have seen Morgan uh, stepping down when he did or not, I don't know. I know that his form hadn't been good for a while, but I personally thought he'd at least stick it out for the next 18 months to the World Cup. So that was a bit of a shock. So I think he'll be... Butler would be pleased that he's sort of had those three games to uh, to have a you know his own sort of stamp on the team. Uh, positives though, it it was a disaster really, wasn't it? The batting hasn't fired for you know the last four matches now. Um, it was good to see uh, Potts get a go for the one day side. I know obviously that was the South Africa game, but in terms of um, Reese Topley. Definitely a positive. Uh, he took six for in the in the win. Um, I think they'll be really pleased to try and keep him fit. Um, still fairly young, but it just goes to show you, know, like a, a tall left armour that can nip it away, swing it in. Um, has a really really good place in that side. So I think they'll be pleased with him. Um, but yeah, in terms of 
positives, it's pretty slim pickings, George. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If we go back to that first game of the ODI series between England and India, um, with Bumrah taking, you know, six, six for 19 off 7.2 overs, you know, Roy going for a duck, Root going for a duck, Stokes going for a duck, Livingston going for a duck, you know, all going um, quite cheaply. You're going you're gonna to be question marks, isn't it? If that, if that top order's not firing, I go for that. Should we be worried about Jason Roy's form? You know, he struggled in the T20s. He struggled for runs. He's not really... He's made a couple of scores, but he's not really got on to be that aggressive batsman at the top of the order that we know, we know him for. I just wonder whether he feels that he's got any competition for his place, you know, and just maybe potentially a bit complacent. Didn't really fire. I think he, he struggled in the first game out in Holland as well, in the in the Netherlands. Um, I know that Rob Key said that everyone was back, you know, for selection in terms of when he took over. I wonder whether now that Morgan's gone as well and that Alex Hales might get a look in again. I, th- I just think that someone like Jason Roy maybe does need to know that his place is under threat. You know, he's been at the top of the order for such a long time um, that it always seems to be him that's there. You know, Bairstow's then floated down to four and then back up to the open as well. So, you know, it almost seems to be that the message is that Jason Roy is just going to bat there and that's his position. But like you say, he just hasn't really had that, you know, massive score for a while now in a, in a game that matters. And I, I do feel that um, going to you know the World Cup, although it's eighteen months away, he's going to need some form pretty fast, um, especially out in the subcontinent. You know, he doesn't. You know, how many times do we see a left arm spinner come on early because they know that that's his weakness? So, um, yeah, I, w- I would like to maybe see a bit of a mix-up carry on into the South Africa series if he doesn't fire. I think Bairstow needs to open. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see with that batting lineup. There, there is no, other than Root, there is no plan B there. And I know that they've played this way for a long time. Um, but even if even if the top three, including Root, didn't fire, when Morgan was on form, he would still be the one that would probably build that innings. And they don't really seem to have that. You know, Stokes is very much, you know, we've seen in the test match this summer, he's going to play one way. Um, so if Roy and Bairstow doesn't, and then obviously Root goes as well, there's no one really to hold that innings. Livingston's not going to look to hang around. Ali's not going to look to hang around. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see who sort of nails that place down that Morgan's now gone. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And obviously, I know when Morgan retired, he was struggling for form, you know, duck, 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 and decided to call it a day. Retired, obviously now enjoying being in the commentary box, commentating on all things uh, English cricket at the minute. But I think you're actually right. I think you've, I think you've had a key issue. And I think this is the next point I was going to come on to was this idea of it just felt like in this India series in particular, England were just throwing away their wicket. Obviously, I've talked about this quite a bit, you know, this fearless cricket they're now playing, this branded fearless cricket they're now playing in Test Match cricket. It kind of felt like, obviously, I know it's been a way we've been playing, you know, since since a while, since the whole revolution, the white ball reset happened to take place, this fear, this cricket, but it felt like the chains were coming off a bit in these series there. Actually, there was no one really holding the holding the innings together. They were all going, you know, Livingston was hitting sixes, and then a four, and then a six, and then was going for it again, and then getting caught. Not, not accepting you just hit, you know, 
14, 16 runs off that over, you know, constantly going for it. It's that, it's that point, that, I think that question that goes goes through all bat, batters' uh, heads, whether you're playing international cricket to domestic cricket to club cricket, when choosing the right ball to go after and knowing when you've got enough runs that over. And I think that's something that's been underpinned, you know. These, these, these England shouldn't be getting bowled out for a below 246, you know, as much as India have been have bowled well, and perhaps have outplayed England in this series. England have got nowhere near getting three hundred runs, and that's the benchmark now in ODI cricket, isn't it? I definitely. I also wonder, how, you know, how much fifty-over cricket are these guys playing now? With the the you know the competition over here has now been relegated to fourth priority. Um, they've just played so much twenty twenty cricket that you don't have long so you do hit you just try and hit yourself out of trouble where I wonder whether it does just take a little bit of time to adjust and realise that they have got a lot longer to do that um, it's interesting I thought Butler sort of he had such a good IPL um, and then obviously did really well out in, out in the Netherlands he did look to maybe try and build his innings but then you could argue that actually is he one that we want to play that way um, so with that, with Morgan going, Butler coming in at five um, into a batting lineup that hasn't really fired. I just, I <coughs> the the balance of it maybe just doesn't look right to me. Um, so that'd be something that I assume Matthew Mott will, will be looking at with Josh Butler. Um, have you have you got any ideas? You know, obviously, I know we're, we're going to talk about it a bit later, but with Stokes then going and. Um, obviously, um, the you know the the lack of that holder that we're talking about in terms of obviously Joe Root coming in at three, uh, Morgan not now being there, Stokes not now being there, both left-handers. Who who do you think might be someone that they look to bring in? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. And obviously, Ben Stokes, obviously after the two-one defeat of India, has decided to announce his retirement from ODI cricket. Obviously, wants to play cricket for England for as long as possible. Wants to focus. I think he wants to play 130, 140 Test matches. I think I've read in a statement he's brought out recently, and obviously talking about this point, it wants to be at its best at all time for England. Obviously, we know he's pulled out the hundred this year because he wants to focus on his work, workload and commitment to be able to play for England. So, obviously, if we just quickly look at Ben Stokes, you know, 105 games, 2,924 runs, a best of 102, 300, 2150. So, obviously, his most famous moment was the winning by the barrister margins in the uh, Cup Final of 2019. Obviously, New Zealand's uh, might dispute his uh, his diving and then hitting on the bat and going forward and us scoring six, but they might dispute that, but obviously we could question that in different ways. So he finished with a batting average of, of just under 39, but obviously it's his value with the ball as well, you know, taking 74 wickets, the best of five for 61. So it's also that area he brings. He brings that, when you have an all-rounder like that to the side, brings that all-round sort of composure. He's a character in the dressing room. He's a leader from the front, so I'll go for that. I think you're right. England now, sort of, the batting looks a bit wobbly. Like, Livingston, you know what you're going to get with him. I think he's definitely, I think he's probably a T20 player, more than he is a 50-over player. Obviously, I know he's coming, he's going to bowl some handy overs to spin, but they're doing Rashid's now back. I'm thinking that he's going to be come, to come back into the side. Um, I think you're right. I think England might need, might be looking for a change to just uh, push Jason Warren a bit more and more, just to make sure he's he's got that bit of competition. But I don't think they're going to turn to Alex Hales. I just think obviously the issues that have been there previously. 
I want to go and go into that place. I'd quite like to, as much as it's painful me to say, I think they're probably going to turn towards Dan and the Lamb. You know, not not someone I would immediately turn to, but you know, in fairness, he's he's he's, he's um, performed, and every every time he's been questioned, he's been asked to do this. He's performed. Uh, I've been perhaps looking at someone maybe like a Lewis Gregory or a Tom Abel. Obviously, I'm going to promote those guys from being Somerset. I think Gregory did quite well in England shirt, especially during the lockdown, during the COVID sort of years. Um, I think even someone like Sam Billings should get a go. Like Sam Billings could play that could easily play that role of the building the innings, building around. He had you know he finally hit a century in ODI cricket only recently last season. So I think that's someone they could definitely turn towards. But I think it's at the moment the balance, as you rightly mentioned, isn't right. And you need someone who's going to bat and bat a long period of time. And knowing that player is Root, probably Root hasn't really played ODI cricket much uh, recently as well. And I think you are right to be concerned about um, the 50 over sort of Royal London Cup being downgraded. Uh, you know, it sounds like pretty much, well, if you think about the 100 going on at the same time, there's going to be nine, effectively nine first team Sunset players coming out. So they won't be available for the one day cup. Um, so effectively, that leaves question marks how you're going to develop this homegrown talent but a lot of people say is there much difference between 2020 cricket and 50 over cricket that's sort of the approach to go for but I think when we think about England's strength we seem to have lots of options when it comes to bowling lots of variations when it comes to bowling which you know quite surprising if we said that about 5-10 years ago we wouldn't be able to say that but now it looks like we're struggling in the way with our batsmen yeah I think uh, uh, the name David Milan was on my list I think he will come in and almost take Owen Morgan's role. Um, he's a bit of a strange one, you know, he, he, even on 2020 finals day, he sort of, without looking like scoring very quickly, does, if that makes sense. Um, and then late, earlier on in the year, he had sort of like a 77 off of 39, I think, without really looking like he's playing overly aggressive. Um, he's very similar to Joe Root in that aspect, I think the way that his scoring rate and the fact that he's left-handed as well then would split split that up for me. So I think he will I think he will be given the nod. Um but yeah in terms of Stokes he's just such a big miss, isn't he? Like even you know, if you look at his stats, he probably would argue that he would rather be averaging higher than he does with the bat. Um he probably doesn't bowl as much as he would you know, we would like. Uh but with injuries and workload and all that sort of stuff, the fact that he's just there is almost as a bit of like a it's a lottery isn't it you know you can always go back to him if you need to I think he's going to be a massive miss um, but I in a way I do quite like that he's he's done it because it it means that he is going to be really you know 100% into that test match side um, people were sort of questioning whether he would be a good leader for the test match team I think already we've seen that the way that they're looking to try and play cricket and the fact that he's then made this move to that um, is, a, is a positive sign for the England Test match side, but like we've both said, the fact that the the fifty over competition, domestic competition, is now you know put to the back end of the at the back end of the season, and all those hundred players aren't going to be playing in it. It's a shame, you know. It's, it's the it's the the white ball cricket that we grew up watching. Um, but the fact that it's now sort of has been overtaken by 2020 quite dramatically uh, is a bit of a shame. Um, what about James Vince? Would you put him in? See, this, <laughs> this is another one I'm going back to. 
I think uh, it's been talked about quite a bit by us here on this show. Uh, as much as I give him a bit of, uh, I give him a bit of criticism. You know, I always joke about his nick behind the four. We've always talked about multiple times. You know, if he didn't get run out in Australia for that eight seven, probably would have had a long, successful England career. Top of the he's a reliable guy, and I think you're right. Actually, I think yeah, I probably would give James Vince a go. I think he's probably is the man to go for in that slot. I'd probably pick James Vince over a perhaps Wood Duff in the land, but I think that's just the kind of player I am. I've just I've just you know quickly had a look back at that England Lions squad that was picked for those two warm up games for South Africa. The batsman picked in this game was Tom Abel, Tom Banton, Ben Duckett, Stephen Eskenazi, Sam Hain, Adam Hose, and Will Smees. Those were the those are batting options there. You know, you've got, I probably, I probably would argue, three really big hitters there in, you know, Banton, um, Hose, and Smeed. But then your other options you've got there, you've got Ben Duckett, you've got Sam Hain, you know, and you've got Tom Abel, which are, you know, they're sort of more your steady batsmen sort of going for there. But it's interesting, I found that interesting, that line setup of some of the players that are picked, that are being picked on their potential to play English cricket. So do any of those jump out of you at all, Matt? Sam Hayne definitely is one who's knocking on the door I think in both Test Match Cricket and um, the 50 over side but it's going to be interesting to see how the the coaching side the coaching setup see it because yeah we're both sat here thinking right we maybe want someone who's a bit more steady but can score quickly like your David Milans like your James Vince um, they might not want that they might just think that it's it's a we're just going to play 2020 mode for a little bit longer. I don't think it works, if I'm honest. Like I say, if, if you have that situation where you've got your Roy and your Bairstow who are going to go for it, if then one of them gets out, I like the fact that we can rebuild with Root. And, you know, I'm going to say David Milan, he, he might not play. And then you've got your Butlers to come in a little bit later and your Livingstons to come in a bit later. Um, so, yeah, I think Sam Hayne will definitely get some form... Uh, of England cricket hopefully if it's not this year it'll be next year um, but yeah I, I would definitely go from my point of view to a more of a, a more solid batsman solid technique batsman OK then Matt so taking on the mind of the couple of players we've mentioned now I've got uh, I pulled up a couple of averages so in this day cricket what do you think Sam Hayne currently averages? I'd say early 30s probably Early 30s. Okay, so Sam Hayne playing 59 matches, a best of 161, not out. Currently averages 58.84 with the bat. Wow. So that's what he currently averages. Whereas if we take Ben Duckett's um, Ben Duckett's list A cricket, are you going to go higher and lower for his average in list A cricket? I'm going to go lower. Lower, you're correct. He has an average of 38.46, but a top score of 220, not out. But it's worth also noting that obviously Ben Duckett's played three ODIs and averages 41 with a best of 63. Whereas if we take David Milan to the list day, are you going to go higher or lower than Ben Duckett's average? I'm going to go higher. Yeah, by much? Early 40s? Uh, you are correct, I'll take that. 42.09 is his average, a best of 185 not out. Obviously in his nine ODI games that he's played... He's had one century, 125 and two fifties, currently averaging 53.16 with the bat in ODI cricket. And then finally, James Vince, are you going higher than lower than Davin Milan's average? 42.69. A little bit lower. 
little bit lower. You are correct. It is a little bit lower. It is. He's currently averaging 40.50. Best of 190. And uh, currently obviously played 19 ODIs. Highest score of 102. With 102 50s. And an average of 30. So it's not really a lot in, in your two experience bats when you're going for really. But does James Vince offer something different to what Devon Milan offers? Um, I just think I think they will pick a left-hander. I think they're going to have to. Um, so I think that obviously plays into Milan's favour. Um, but they're both good shot makers, aren't they? They're both got decent defence, and then can, like I say, they are those types of players. Obviously, not to the standard of Joe Root, but they are the types of players that can be there for a amount of time take a while to get going but easily catch up with the strike rate um, I think obviously I've seen a lot of James Vince this year um, in, in even in the 2020 stuff his previously in a couple of years gone by I'd say that some of his early starts are quite reckless but I think he's sort of got, all, got away with that this year he hasn't really been doing that and it's gone back to sort of just playing proper cricket shots Um uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of James. <coughs> sorry, I'm a big fan of James Vince. I think that he, like Johnny Bairstow, if he was told this is where you're batted, you're going to play in the next amount of games. I don't think he would let England down. Um, I also think that his captaincy is really good. Um, so I think that might bring something to Josh Butler as well, um, just a, a bit of experience in there. And it can't be easy to. You know, captain an international side and keep at the same time and be one of the best batsmen in the team. Um, so yeah, but uh, all those players that we've we've spoken about, I think Ben Duckett's an interesting one because obviously he he did play. He also got picked out in Bangladesh um, for those the test matches and then obviously some of the one day stuff. For whatever reason, he was dropped. I don't know. There was a uh, a discipline issue there whether he is one that they're now going to look to go back to. I don't know, but again, left-hander could be in his favour, play some proper cricket shots. Um, so, yeah, to be honest, he, he wasn't one that I had on my list and it'll be interesting to see whether he is given a go. Okay, so, of course, England then lost 2-1 in the ODI series to India and obviously England went straight back into one-day international cricket England were obviously playing South Africa at Durham where Ben Stokes with the signing wanted to play in front of his home ground for one final time to retire from one day international cricket and it was let's be honest it was a hot day it was a heat wave across the country like everyone was suffering with it and uh, South Africa decided to open the batting and I think they made quite good work of England's bowling display to be honest they finished 330, 333 for 5 um, off their 50 overs Van der with 134 before eventually being bowled by Livingston, was playing that role that Matt's talked about quite a bit, that England are perhaps missing at the moment in the ODI cricket. So 134 of 117 balls with 10 fours, batting almost three hours. Milan at the top of the order for them, a hitting 57, and then 77 from Markham, um, again, before being caught by Bairstow after the bowling of Livingston. Wickets were one for Curran, one for Ali, and two for Livingston. England then chasing in this instance were eventually bowled for 271 all out. 
Roaring with 43, Bairstow is 63, 86 from Joe Root, playing that role we practice would expect Joe Root to play. But then the middle order sort of fell away with Stokes 5, Butler 12, Livingston 10, Ali 3. So there wasn't really much sort of there for them to take in the place. And South Africa won that, won that ODI match in Durham by 62 runs. So that's where the series is poised. Currently with the ODI series when it comes to looking at England versus South Africa. They play again on Friday the 22nd of July at Old Trafford. And then we will see them in action once again in the ODI series, then going into Sunday the 24th at Headingley. So two more matches. Look forward to There's a couple more coming that way as well before then we get into the we get into the T20 matches as well, which I'm looking forward to being at Bristol for next week to give a bit of an update from that as well going forward. But we're going to park England and we're going to move on to, of course, talking about the Vitality Blast, which I know Matt's been eagerly waiting to talk about all evening. Hey, are you going to the Yeovil Ukulele Festival? Sunday the 4th of September at Haysbury Mill near Crookern. 11 o'clock in the morning till 9 at night with big acts from the ukulele world including Plastic Jesus, Tricity Vogue, The Hedge Inspectors, 80s icon Sam Brown, Pete Brown, Hester Goodman from the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain and local duo in sync. Tickets are available from the website www.yovelukulele.club and on the door. And it's all in aid of Mind in Somerset. There'll be performances across two stages, workshops, strum and sing-alongs, trade stands, food, raffle and more. So make sure you get there. September the 4th at Hazelbury Mill near Krugern. When I'm cleaning windows. You're listening to Three Valleys Community Radio. It was just great, a great weekend of cricket. I thought the Saturday games with the finals day is my favourite cricketing day of the year. Um, just to watch, even if you haven't got a team in it, I think you've got you know four of the the best teams of the the, the competition going against each other. Um, and although on paper, if you looked at them, the semi-finals didn't quite look as close as they maybe were. I just thought the standard of cricket straight away was great, um, and just the way that it fell with the Lancashire-Yorkshire semi-final and obviously Hampshire-Somerset. Um, yeah, it was, just, it was just really enjoyable to watch and I thought it was really good fun. Um, I think the fact that the pitch obviously was a very good one for batting. Um, you know, when obviously Yorkshire then posted, I think it was 205, you thought, oh, that's going to take some getting and <laughs> Lancashire made it look really, really easy. I think on paper, obviously, Lancashire probably looks the strongest of the four teams going into it, uh, even though they were missing Livingston and Butler due to some excellent um, scheduling by the ECB. Um, but yeah, I just thought um, it was just set up for, a obviously the morning game then set up for a really good afternoon semi-final. Um, I think Hampshire obviously winning the toss said that they would bat, 
Somerset then said they were bowl, which again I love when they say that because then both teams are doing what they wanted to do. Um, and based upon the first semi-final, Hampshire probably looked maybe a little bit light. Um, but in terms of the way that Hampshire's sort of gone about their competition this year, just they haven't really, other than the match at Taunton, they haven't really gone and smashed loads of big scores. Um, it has been down to a really good bowling unit. Um, I did I did watch the game with my Somerset supporting father, which was nice. Um, but we both said that you know obviously Somerset's strongest suit is their batting. Hampshire's strongest suit is probably their bowling. And like I say, I just think it was it was just set up for a really really good game. I think uh, I think we spoke about it in quite a lot depth, didn't we? That uh, Hampshire bowled particularly well to Riley Russo. Bowled really really well to Riley Russo. And actually, I thought at times Hampshire. We could have restricted Hampshire a little bit more with the with the bowling. I think that could have gone to play, but because there's been some absolutely brilliant games of Vitality Blast, and sometimes you know some have been on the winning end, sometimes some have been on the losing end. One of the games that sticks in my mind, part of the qualifying stages, was the game of the Oval, where some have almost won the game. You know, they took with Peter Siddle at the end bowling at the death, sort of going from there. You know, it just it just it just sort of felt like, as you said, it was a really good batting wicket, sort of got away, and I think you know. Priest hitting 64, you know, you would expect a big score at the top of the order, but, you know, McDermott and Vince did their job at the top of the order, putting on 47 for the uh, opening stand. It just sort of felt like the game was always going to be, it was always going to be one of those. I wanted it to be the final, but at the same time, I also wanted Lancashire in the final because the last time Somerset got to the final, played Lancashire, it was 2005 when Somerset, of course, last won the T20 Cup. And obviously, I think without really being close, close rivals like is in the local derby. I kind of feel like the Hampshire Somerset game, when it comes to the T Twenty, is the, is as close as we probably got to a to a local derby. Would you say? Because they always seem to meet each other at these stages. I think I think it was said that it's the most commonly played match of finals day. Is it now a Hampshire Somerset final? So obviously they play each other twice throughout the year, but then also to then play on the big occasion as well. Um, there's definitely a lot. It's the fixture I look out for the most because my dad is a Somerset fan, so it's always been the one um, to look out for. So whether that's just a, more of a personal thing, I don't know. But from a Hampshire point of view, I think we, I don't know the exact stats, but I feel that we don't do very well against Somerset. And I remember saying to you beforehand that they were probably the team that I didn't want to play in the semi-finals. Um, but then obviously, so this year we lost the one at the Aegeus Bowl and then beat you at Taunton. And then obviously to then, um, the, the key I thought was when we, we've spoken about these three names already, but to get Smead, Banton and Rousseau out fairly early without doing too much damage, obviously was a bit of a, a lift for Hampshire and obviously not in the plan of Somerset. And they did, they it was noticeable how wide outside of Stump they bowled to Rousseau. Um, bearing in mind that how he just took Derbyshire apart um, it was like what was it you, you'll know it better than me but 90 odd of 40 balls was it Yeah. and it was just so destructive on the leg side um, so it was it was good to watch and you know there was clear plans there and that's where I think um, James Vince's captaincy is very good uh, on the field but Hampshire's fielding throughout the day was really strong. The amount of runouts we had. Um, so Banter was run out, wasn't he? And it was Mason Crane, and wouldn't necessarily see that end being thrown at in that situation. I think that caught Banton by surprise. Um, 
So yeah, and to be honest, once that wicket Rousseau went, I was fairly confident we'd get over the line and it was probably a bit more comfortable than I thought it would be, so to say. Yeah, and I think uh, I was a little bit disappointed. I wanted to be a bit closer. Obviously, as a Somerset fan, I was a little bit disappointed. Obviously, trying to keep an eye on it during the tea break. We actually had teas uh, for club cricket this week rather than the corner shop sandwich. And trying to keep an eye on the game. I thought at times I saw that... uh, Russo was in with Abel and I was like oh yeah happy days here we go this is what we need this is what we need you know and actually I think sometimes we forget like Lamanby last season was a couple games batting really really well I remember his reverse scoops and then his scoop hit all sort of going away sort of coming there and I think you know there was definitely batting was strong all the way down you know to all the way down to Goldsworthy you know no hits made in 100 at, Lang- at Lancashire itself the other day you know so it's definitely batting there but I think you've got to take your hat off when credit's due uh, Hampshire did were the better side played really really well I think the exciting thing that came from the first semi-final was to see Tom Coda Cadmore you know hitting another final half century really looking forward to him coming down the Taunton and showing what he can do at the top of the order of it later in the innings but yeah credit where credit's due Hampshire were the better side played really well bowled, bowled well kept their plans and like I said restricted those uh, strong hitters at the top of the order and I think once they'd gone, there wasn't that platform that sort of disappeared. We had those people that could keep the innings going, but didn't have those explosive bats when they were going to get ahead of the rate and sort of go from there, you'd perhaps argue. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I say, that, that, the top order game was just so key um, to the whole match, really. And I think uh, going back to, I had a little look of your interest. I was intrigued about the heads-to-heads. So uh, they have played, Matt. Uh, 23 times how many games do you think Hampshire won out of those 23 uh, I would say less than half ok less than half <laughs> so you're going to give me a number I'm going to say 13 going to say 13 ok uh, it's 8 you've won 8 oh wow is that bad yeah you've won 8 and you've um one and we've won a subset of 115 so on average you are five runs less as well apparently of course um, okay. i probably should check the statistics as well on this but I've, i have looked at a couple couple different um statistics that cricket stats sites to check it but supposedly some sort of 115 hampshire have won eight obviously a couple have been rained off effective sort of going sort of going from there as well and it seems like yeah, that's sort of being the sort of major message. So yeah, you're right. It's particularly it is a particularly big game, and obviously, Hampshire then gets the final. They're playing Lancashire in the final. Lancashire obviously pulled off a brilliant, brilliant run chase, as you've rightly mentioned against Yorkshire. Um, you know, we shouldn't forget the Derby race as well. Alfred the Griller won for Gloucestershire. The highlight of everyone's day, seeing them run around. I was a bit worried for Lanky at one point, and didn't think he was going to get all the way around. But he managed to eventually in the end. So we saw Lancashire versus Hampshire in the final. Hampshire batting first. And, I mean, your overseas your overseas top-order batsman came came when he, when, when he was needed, wasn't he? Yeah, so, again, I think winning the toss was important. Um, so, like James Vincent said at the toss, batting first has been our strong point, our strong suit this year. Um, and also... I think scoreboard pressure in a final, as long as you put a fairly decent score up, is is quite telling and ended up being quite telling. Um, 
yeah, I think Vince had a quiet day with the bat, which is a shame because he finished as the top scorer for the competition. Um, and McDermott's been a bit of a strange one, really. He, I really don't rate his keeping. I know you feel the same. Um, and even in the final, there was a couple of, you know, in, interesting decisions that were made. Um, although he did do a very good run out with his gloves on, so I'll, we'll give him some credit there. But yeah, it, his 60 odds ended up being crucial. Um, it was quite interesting watching it back, actually, and thinking um, that at one point, obviously I haven't got it in front of me, but I think we were 111 for five or six, and you're suddenly thinking, oh my God, I remember the thing, right, even if they get up to 140, then that's going to be mm-hmm. something to bowl at. Obviously not going to be enough, but something to bowl at. But without really looking, it was strange, really, just like, Lancashire seemed to let us off the hook a little bit, and I think we accumulated some late runs without doing without having to work too hard. Chris Wood hit a few sixes at the end. Um, but yeah, to get up to one five two was a big mistake, I think, from, from Lanks. I think they really had us down and let us off, you know, pretty big time. I think one thing's gone mentioned as well is uh, Matty Parkinson's bowling. Four overs for four overs, four wickets for twenty six runs. Brilliant bowling from the legs below in the final. You know, two wickets for Wood and then one wicket for Gleeson as well. Some fantastic pace from Gleeson as well to remove Vincent top of the order. But I think you're right. Some valuable runes from Chris Wood really gave that opportunity. And I'd be interested to ask you, actually. Ross Whiteley, obviously, I was really excited about this move for Ross Whiteley as, you know, I spent a bit of my time down in GS Bowl uh, watching some of that cricket when I can't get down to Taunton. Really excited about that move, but he hasn't really fired, has he, this season? He's had a very quiet season. Um, but again, you know, he got 20-odd in the final. Uh, he was so destructive in the 100 and obviously playing for the Southern Brave, I think that's how we've ended up picking him up. Um, but yeah, I think he, bear in mind he's only playing white ball cricket. I think he'll be obviously quite disappointed with his season. But at the end of the day, he's ended up picking up the, the trophy. So, um, he... He will be one, hopefully, next year that might see a bit more from. Um, I think for the for the Hampshire sort of season, James Fuller is the sort of the surprise candidate, really, just with bat and ball. I think he bowled, he bowled fantastic in the final, um, and like I say, maybe not necessarily someone who would always bowl their allocation of four, um, but bowled quickly, and that was sort of the turning point, really, the wickets that he took, uh, and wasn't very expensive at all. Yeah, and I think, uh, so Hampshire going at half-time, managed to get to 152 for eight off their 20 overs. Perhaps they'll be a di- bit disappointed. Phil, they may have left runs out there. Lancashire, Phil, perhaps they're on top at this point. And I think for Hampshire's perspective, need to take wickets early, and particularly need to take the wicket of Salt, you know. So the first over, four, six, wicket. Wood takes the wicket of Salt, job done, buddy, brilliant. But then we see a really good partnership starting to form between Croft and Jennings. And Croft's still had a really good season. You know, Simon Croft is particularly a stand-up player, I think, for me, for a long period of time for Lancashire. Obviously, the former captain of Lancashire as well has hit 548 runs this season, an average of 39.14, with 450s for a higher score of 76. And again, he was doing a really good job up to a point where he was hitting 36 of 25 balls. There was four falls in a row. And I think my favourite shot was the, uh, was the cover drive that he played. 
But his dismissal was quite odd. He, he, am I right in thinking he, he got caught down the leg side and Madonna caught in his legs? Was that was that, yeah, was that was off, dismissal? Yeah, off, off the spin out, so he managed to miss... It hit his leg and then the bat, and then obviously the catch was an interesting one. So a bit un, bit unlucky, obviously, but um, yeah, that sort of started the. It's just it's just so funny, isn't it? Watching him when they sort of they were seventy for one off of eight overs or, or whatever it is, and absolutely cruising, and then just a couple of wickets like crickets, mate. It's such a good game, isn't it? Just a couple of wickets and it all changes. Um, but yeah, and. It, it was just, it's just, it's, it was just such a good game. Obviously for the neutral as well, the fact that the, it, then those wickets started to happen. Um, I thought what was really interesting was that um, even when Lanks were doing really well, I just think every time they cut to the dugout, that Dave Villas just looked so nervous about the whole thing, and I, I think whether that maybe went on to his team as well. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Um, but yeah, so he there was a, he had that dispute the first ball where uh, Hampshire thought we hadn't caught behind, and then the technology didn't really show it either way. Um, but yeah, it's just that it's like I say Croft was going so well, and then to lose him, and then Jennings just gifted his wicket again was playing so nicely, and also a good player of spin, Keaton Jennings to then just sort of loft one out into the offside to give that away and as soon as that happened I thought oh you know we've got a chance here obviously still not still not a good chance but we've got a chance to, to sort of tail it back really yeah um, and I think uh, I think you know at that point like I said Langshire giving away the wicket you know Croft 36 Dave Villas 23 um, Jennings 24 Wells 27 and I think that was the prize wicket right at the end of the 19th over James Vince, I think, changed the game in that moment with that run out, that direct hit in the bowler's end to get rid of Wells. You know, he was going quite comfortably, 27 off 24 balls. He was just trying to hit run and run a ball, run over. But that point completely changed the game because you probably would potentially argue he was probably the last recognised batsman of, of note of description for Lancashire, wasn't he? Uh, definitely. I think that was the momentum as well, wasn't it? And the wicket and the dot ball. Um, after... So obviously um, Ellis had been bowling really well and they'd obviously backed him up so that he was going to bowl his three consecutively at the end um, to then change it to Wood so that Ellis would bowl the last one. I like Chris Wood, but I was thinking, oh no, I just thought that something was happening. Then obviously there's a few boundaries off that over. To then, like you say, it was looking more and more comfortable for Lancashire and then for that run out to happen. Obviously he was trying to get himself on strike for the uh, the last over. Uh yeah, that that's when it sort of became Hampshire's game, I think. Obviously, it didn't quite end up as comfortable as that. <laughs> but I think that that was definitely the moment where you're thinking, like, with, especially with Ellis bowling so well, this should be done. I think, uh, yeah, so I'm, I think my next words is, Hampshire like winning the T20 Cup with a bit of controversy, don't they? You know, they like to take it down to the final ball, the final over, add that bit of suspense, add that bit of drama, add that bit of box office in such a way. And I think, you know, I think I've got to give it to you, Matt. You've got to, you've got to describe this final over to us um, and tell us, tell us this moment about how you felt at that moment, sat on your sofa, as I can probably imagine, watching it with a with a beverage in hand. Um, what was going for your mind in those in those those couple of moments of that final over with Venice? I think the 
the run out of in the last over as well with Ben McDermott throwing the stumps down with the glove on. For that to be obviously, obviously again a dot ball and a wicket was that was the point where I thought right we should now do this. Um, I thought Ellis, bearing in mind obviously he's the overseas player, haven't really been that impressed with him. Over, I d- I'll be honest, I, I haven't really seen a lot of him before he then ended up with us. Um, but yeah, he bowled so well in the final, not so much in the semi, but bowled really well, and his variations were, were brilliant. Um, so yeah, so to go from seven to seven to win with two balls to go, and obviously it was effect- effectively six because they only needed that, they only needed to tie it. At that point, you're thinking, right. This should now be done with who was who was left in. So it was Gleeson and I can't even remember who the other one was. I'm sorry, but um, not a recognised batsman, let's say. Um, probably probably as good as me and you, George, if not worse. Um, <laughs> but yeah, to then just bowl his deliveries, everything that had to go right went right. Um, and as an avid sports fan, um, and a for a multiple of different sports and so many occasions that you've seen things happen. Bearing in mind that I've played cricket as well for that long, for that final ball, obviously they needed four to win. For them to hit that Yorker that sort of tailed in a bit as well, with Gleeson coming down at him to hit the stump, which is amazing. Like, in, in without whatever came next, even that was such a good skill set to deliver at that moment. And at no point did I, and I'm sure 99% of all cricket fans, maybe even 100%, at no point did anyone think, oh, it might have been a no ball. So it's just, it was just mad to to sort of celebrate. And it's been such a long time since Hampshire have won it, like 10 years off the top of my head. Um, it was brilliant. And the fact that the way it was won as well in terms of, it was really looking like a Lancashire win from sort of, uh, you know the whole the whole game. So you know to to do that. So the outpour of emotion was amazing. Absolutely loved it. And then the fact <laughs> to then go back, all the fireworks going off, Sky Team going crazy. Um, to then hear the oh no, and then the umpire standing there with a no with his arm out for a no ball, just like the. I think James Fuller then sunk to his knees. Chris Wood threw the stump back that had already been ripped out. It was just, I was just like, how has this happened? Like, just like, how has it taken this long? But also, like, I just couldn't, couldn't ever picture that that was what was about to happen because obviously with the with the delay and we've we've grown up, haven't we? That the umpire calls the no ball and it's now coming in. It's now the third umpire's job. Um, so it's just like at that point forgetting that it was two runs for a no ball as well. I just thought they're going to get a two here. They're going to get a two off the final ball. Um, and then, yeah, to, <clears throat> there's a, there's obviously controversy about apparently they changed the field when it should have been a free hit. I don't think the time it took between the ball being bowled and then obviously the no ball happening and then everyone get back in place. I think that sort of worked in Hampshire's favour. Whether they have purposely changed the field and just hoped to get away with it or not, I don't know. But um, to execute that slower ball the way it did, again, with Gleeson walking down the pitch to him, uh, was amazing. And actually, what then came next, obviously, 
McDermott took it cleanly, ran up to the stumps, took the bales off. And then, as far as I'm concerned, that's game done. I'd like to think that a lot of people would as well. I just said, at no point as a batsman have I ever thought that I could run two to a keeper who's got the ball in his hands. And he hasn't. it's not like McDermott threw it away. He was running up to the stumps with it. Um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, again, I didn't really think about Lancashire's controversy that they've brought up until I read about it an hour and a half later because it didn't really ever cross my mind. Um, but what do you think about it? What do you think? So obviously, so Lancashire are claiming that they've they've run a two, <laughs> but I'm I'm not convinced myself. I mean, I think with the emotions and the drama that's happened and taking place, you know, the fireworks have already gone off. Everyone thought, you know, games won, games done. I would be a little bit obviously. I've not obviously I've read this idea about you know. The, the field did change for the free hit. I think that if that's happened, that's a bit disappointing. If that's happened, but of course, I think you've got to accept. Unfortunately, with the with the emotions, the high drama of that final ball in the final bit of the final, that there's sometimes those things can disappear and people can start move. But I think I think I'm I'm shocked if they've run a two. I'm shocked if they've run a two. I know was, I know as one you went mad about it the other day when we when we briefly spoke about it, and obviously I was I was bringing it back to 2010 with you know. When Dan Christian, when he had a runner, yeah. was run, run, ran as well, and someone's had the opportunity to run him out, and but they didn't, and obviously the umpires were waiting and waiting for someone to do that. But I'd Hampshire run on to the Aegeus Bowl and was celebrating the win that they won. So I kind of thought, you know, it just gave me flashbacks to 2010 when it happened to us. So I think, unfortunately, it's just uh, it's just one of those moments. It's a bit of high drama, and I, 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 I don't know, did it take away from the game? Because I think I think you're right that that ball that Ernesto ball where you know when it swung back and hit the stumps was such a brilliant finish and I think mm. part, part for part of me that having to go back and then do it again that last ball again kind of took it away from what I thought was a very good final and how Hampshire had got themselves back into the final and somehow then had got themselves over the line and I think I'm not surprised perhaps Lancashire felt a little bit hard done by of what happened especially if you know fields weren't in the right place. Who knows? They might have run a two. I mean, I've not really checked. Have you checked whether they've run the two? I have. Uh, I've watched it back. So they've obviously they've obviously got to try and run the one, which you wouldn't actually anyway. But you can see that the batsmen sort of give up a little bit. So the so Gleeson was on strike. The non-striker has sort of given up, and obviously the bales have then been taken off. And then they've then decided. I think Gleeson has then tried to come back just to see obviously what can happen. So. Um, in the statement that's released from the MCC after they obviously they cite the umpire's cite that it looks like the the batters are given up running. But again, I think I think one of the, one of the interviews, whether it was on the the Hampshire site and not the Sky site, to James Vince, he just sort of laughs and goes, "Who's running two to a keeper?" <laughs> it's just like so. I just think that a little bit of desperation there, obviously. But like I said, I think it hurts for Lancashire more because. They should have won it. Let's be honest. They should have won it. It was in in their hands. The seventy odd for one after eight overs with two set batsmen in. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think in times of in moments like that, when you're disappointed that you haven't haven't executed what you should have done, um, I think you always look to try and blame someone else, don't you? And I think that's a little bit of what is happening there. But. I just thought overall, it was, it, was a, it was a great finish to the game. It was a great advert for cricket. Um, but yeah, the, the celebrations, if you look at the players as well, the second time, they're sort of just waiting like, was his foot behind the line? You know, and 
just asking the umpires, have we won? So I think it was a little bit more muted. It was certainly more muted in this house as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's it, the from a neutral's point of view, the drama must have been incredible. Um, so yeah, I was obviously really pleasing weekend, a really good weekend of cricket. Um, we talked about, you know, an advert for the game and I think moments like that, those close finishes at the end, under the lights, stumps coming out of the ground, fireworks going off, that is sort of a good way to get, going back to our point earlier, that is a really good way to try and get non-cricketers into cricket. Um, but yeah, so uh, like I say, brilliant day. Um, just, I can't, I can't say enough how much of an amazing game cricket is and it's the fact that you're never out of it um maybe you were at your team was out of it chasing 340 odd with you and an ice cream but you know it's very very rare that you're out of a game of cricket so um cricket is always the winner in my eyes oh absolutely i think i think i've just looked you know hampshire now joint most successful county in the t20 blast alongside leicestershire Obviously, Hampshire 2010, 2012, and 2022. And um, highest run score of this season by Tandy Blast was, of course, a Hampshire's skipper, James Vince. 678 runs. And do you want to have a guess who was the best bowler uh, for the Vitality Blast with 25 wickets? Uh, it was, I've looked, it wasn't Richard Gleeson. I thought it was Richard Gleeson, but it's not. Is it Richard Gleeson? It is Richard Gleeson, yeah. So it is. Hampshire well, versus Lecture, you had, the, in theory, if you look at the top two, you have the the best. You had the best two sides in this season's Vitality Plus playing, but then I wouldn't from necessarily say that with the start that Hampshire had. You know, they lost the first four, then went on this unbelievable run, didn't they? I think they uh, managed to win eleven of the last twelve, which is quite something, isn't it? Um, and the only thing that really changed was that Vince went from three to open. Um, but yeah, I, I remember. It. I remember sort of going to the first game at the Cheers Bowl and just saying to people that Hampshire have got a really good side on paper and then to lose those four games, you think, oh my word, what's going on here? But they always seem to find a way and the amount of times they got into finals day by finishing fourth in that um, in the league and then winning the away quarter-final. Um, so it's, yes, Hampshire and Langshire have now done the most finals days. I think it's nine, nine out of the 20, which is, is some going, isn't it? Mm. It is, and I think uh, a bit disappointed with Sunset's performance. Obviously, beaten at the post in the semi-final, fair enough. But obviously, it's always nice when the side you get beaten in the semi-final then goes on to win the win the trophy. So I think uh, you know it's been a really good season for Somerset when you think about the Vitality Blast. An excellent overseas signing with Riley Russo. I hope he hope he comes back next season. I hope he goes well with South Africa. He's been picked for the South Africa T20 side. So that's going to be exciting to see. You know, 623 runs, averaging 47.92, a strike rate of just under 193. So, fair play, really good signing for Somerset, really impressed by that. Some really good work there, and obviously Ben Green taking quite a few wickets there as well for Somerset. So obviously we now turn our attention to County Blast Championship and um, England's ODI series with South Africa. Thank you very much for joining us here this evening on Let's Talk Cricket, and we'll see you again next week. Bye for now.